I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is a big one. Obviously, uh, if you have not heard, the USGA and the RNA has released news about a potential new golf ball that would be used by high-level tournament players, men's high-level tournament players. So we break this down. This has obviously been a long process. We've had a number of podcasts about the prospect of this, and uh, they've moved to the next kind of chapter of it. So for this pod, we did something uh, a little special. Uh, I wanted to get a variety of insights from a different angles of uh, who this would impact. So for this podcast, I talked with uh, Tom Doak about the architecture angle. I talked with Roberto Castro, a retired PGA Tour player, about how this would impact the PGA Tour and PGA Tour players. And then I also uh, spoke with Joseph Lamagna about the impact on golf course strategy. He um, obviously contributes for the Fried Egg, writes uh, in Club TFE and in the newsletter, as well as appears on the podcast pretty regularly. He does on the side, he also does uh, consulting for PGA Tour players where he helps them break down strategy. So we talked about that. And then Garrett and I are going to be on this podcast in a minute here, kind of just talking about the basics of it and our general takes. So you're going to get a lot of different perspectives in this podcast uh, on different angles of it. It's obviously a massive topic um, and will impact the game. Uh, really, I you know I think this is the way a lot of regulation works. Like you implement it, and you're not really sure. You you know one thing that it's going to address, but it causes a lot of different ripples throughout the industry. So that's what we tried to do with this podcast was give you a little bit of an encompassing look at how it impacts a you know, directly impacts a few big things. So uh, excited that this happened. Uh, as a quick reminder, you know, one of the things, if you're a Friday newsletter subscriber, you saw this week was that we have a whole new spring line in the pro shop. Uh, if you want to support the Friday, this is a great way to do it. Meg Atkins has uh, really got some great stuff. She she did an awesome job stocking the shop. I uh, I myself had to ask uh, ask for a couple things because they really caught my eye. I thought they were uh, awesome and some of the best stuff that we've ever had in the pro shop. If you want to check that out, it's proshop.thefriedegg.com. Lots of hats, layers, some new golf shirts, uh, some stuff that's uh, geared towards the first major uh, for both the fried egg and the shotgun start, which uh, if you're looking for more on on this potential rollback for the for the tour professionals, uh, check out the shotgun start. We had a, a long discussion about that as well as this podcast, uh, that you're already listening to. So without further ado, here is, uh, the podcast all about rollback again, here's me and Garrett, and then it will be followed by Tom Doak, uh, Joseph Lamagna and Roberto Castro. Thank you. 
And uh, here you go. All right, Garrett, big, big golf news this week. Obviously, the, uh, the golf world has uh, quickly divided itself into different camps. I think there's a lot of people in the middle that are just the silent, silent middle uh, class. Um, and uh, <laughs> enjoying the fight, watching the fight. <laughs> yes, uh, I would. I'd love to hear kind of your top level thoughts about the USGA's announcement uh, with the with the regulations to the potential regulations to the ball. Really, they're in a comment period, so the uh, regulations to the ball are you know they're kind of collecting feedback, and um, you know we'll see we'll learn more uh, later this fall. Uh, let me try to lay things out here. I think people should know, first of all, what a model local rule is, because that is the key to this whole discussion and to analyzing the entire situation. So a model local rule is optional. The USGA is going to create this rule, put it out there, and different organizations, tours, different entities in the golf world can adopt it if they want to. And this model local rule will essentially give, as the USGA puts it, give competition organizers the option to require use of golf balls that are tested under modified launch conditions to address the impacts of hitting distance in golf. And this golf ball would be essentially tested at a higher club head speed than balls are currently tested at and will have to go the same distance. So the ball will fly shorter. Than the current ball, and one quick one quick thing here that is very important for everybody to understand: the longer players are still going to be longer, the shorter players are still going to be shorter. So it it does not remove it does not remove somebody from swinging higher than the testing speed at one twenty seven and hitting it further than their three hundred and seventeen yards. If you swing at one thirty five, mm-hmm. it will go further than the high end of their testing range. That's right. So it's important to understand that there's not there's not like a, a, a ceiling on how far you can hit the golf ball. They <laughs> are right. just it's not gonna hit an invisible wall at three hundred and seventeen yards and drop out of the air. Exactly. So it is a it is that's just what it's being tested at tested at, which then scales all the distances down roughly mm-hmm. between five and ten percent. Right. And and so what the USGA is saying is that the longest players will lose 14 to 15 yards in driving distance. Now, there's been some dispute over that. Some people are saying it might be more like 20 yards, but we don't really know yet until we see the ball. And this model local rule won't be available until January 1st, 2026 at the earliest. So we've got some time here. But I just wanted to clarify that up front because I've been tracking the discussion in a number of different venues, and I feel like a misunderstanding of the model local rule and how it actually operates is at the core of a lot of people's concerns about this because it really doesn't need to affect any particular organization that doesn't want to buy into it. The USGA and RNA have passed the buck to other entities in the golf world and said, If you want, for whatever reason, to adopt a reduced flight ball, then you can start to do that using this model local rule. Now, I think that their play is more complicated than that, 
And that's kind of what I want to get into. Do you want to get into that? Like, uh, you know, the kind of the, the strategy that's probably being used by, by the governing bodies here. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, from my perspective, this is, this was strategically the correct play for the USGA. Um, they are the governing body. The RNA and the USGA are the governing bodies of the game of golf, but they also do a lot more than governance. And I think that's where it was tricky. Like if the only thing they did was, was create rules and protect the game, you know, I think we would have had something in place a long time ago. But, you know, the tricky thing with the USGA as they've grown as an organization is they do a lot more and they, you know, I think they are, I hate the word grow the game, but they are vitally involved with growing the game of golf. And I think, you know, from this standpoint, when you look at the rule, the idea of it applying a model local rule that can be applied to the high end of golf, that is an attempt to not have the PR hit of like you're trying to make golf harder. If you went with a ruling that said, we're going to take, we're going to make, we're going to take yardage away from everybody. There would be a lot of backlash of like, wait, golf's having this moment and you're going to make it harder. Even though I don't even believe that it would be harder if you, if everybody played this equipment, like, I don't think if you, if, if, if just find the right tees, chill out. (laughs) Find the right tees. It yeah. wouldn't be that much harder. And most amateurs, if they played a reduced flight ball, if you just like snuck one into their bag in place of the Pro V1X or whatever they have in there and had them play it, I bet they'd play – most amateurs would play 18 holes and not even notice a difference. So so at the core of this, I think the the choice to make it a – what people are calling bifurcation, which is the model local rule. So you could – Theoretically, all of men's professional golf and theoretically is an important title here uh, because we don't know if the PGA Tour or the PGA Championship will accept this. But like theoretically, all of men's professional golf can play a different ball than the regular, you know, golfer, the weekend golfer. And they, from a marketing standpoint, are not taking away things from the person that needs all the help they can get. What they are trying to do is is really, you know, what this all is about, for the most part, is professional golf. But I don't agree that it's just a professional golf problem. I think this is a problem right. across golf. And I think that the governing bodies acknowledge that. And that is the complexity here that I'd like to get into, is the governing body's awareness that distance gains are a problem, not just at the elite competitive level, but all over the place in golf. Regular local courses have had to lengthen over the past several decades because everybody has gained distance. And especially like the top 5% of the longest amateur players have gained just as much distance as the pros have, right? If you have 115 miles per hour of clubhead speed, you can be a five handicap. I've played with five handicaps who have that much club head speed. Yeah. And you're going to be hitting it just as far as the pros do. You might not know where it's going, but they're a problem at normal courses as well. And you know what? The USGA and RNA have done a lot of research in the past several years looking into exactly that problem. And so I think the intention here is eventually to have an effect beyond 
the elite competitive level. But I, I want to get into the strategic and PR play that they're doing here because you're right that a big thing that Mike Wan and Martin Slumbers, the CEOs of the USGA and the RNA, are saying right now is that this will not affect the recreational golf level. We've gotten feedback in the past year that nobody wants the recreational game to be negatively affected. And so this rule, this model local rule is intended for high level competitions. That is what they're saying right now. But that goes against the research that they've done recently, that they've spent a lot of money doing, discovering that the distance problem in golf is not just a professional golf problem. It's not just a PGA Tour problem. It is a problem all over the place, and it's an issue for the sustainability of the game. And so I think that what they're trying to do here is introduce this model local rule to some championships, like the U.S. Open and the Open. I think they probably figure that the Masters is going to implement the ball because Augusta National Golf Club has been – you know, has had to spend a lot of money expanding its course and its leaders do seem open to implementing a new ball. And so that's three majors right there. That's three very powerful tournaments in golf. And so if they adopt the model local rule, is that going to have a kind of trickle down effect throughout the game where different tours, including the PGA Tour, as well as other institutions like state championships, like various amateur championships like the NCAA, like your local club championship, is there going to be a trickle-down effect where all of those different kinds of tournaments and competitive environments will say, well, you know, three of the biggest tournaments in golf are using the model local rule ball, so I guess we better. I, You know, if you want to qualify for the U.S. Open, if you want to go to your local qualifier and try to get into the U.S. Open, you've got to learn how to use the reduced flight ball. So I guess we might as well start playing this ball at the local level at our courses. And I think that their hope is that this ball will eventually make its way into the recreational game that we play on an everyday basis. But they can't say that because people are scared of that. Yeah, I think you hit on exactly what I've been thinking about the last 24 hours and why this was the right way to approach this because, you know, we talked about like the marketing headache, but when I think about how this could infiltrate the overarching game, it is through the competitive golf landscape at the amateur level. So, you know, the idea of, you know, I used to play competitive golf. I, I haven't in the last five years because I've been busy, but you know, the thing about it is like, what you play that competitive golf at a state level, and this is like as a mid-am, right? It is like I would play it, I'd try and play the, the U.S. Open, I'd try and play the USAM, I'd try and play the U.S. Mid-am. It sounds like their goal is to have this ball be used at the U.S. Mid-am. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm, the, I'm one of the best players at a club. I am going to be probably using this ball predominantly. This is the ball that I'm going to use, and that's going to have a trickle-down effect into the group that I'm playing with. Mm -hmm. And that's going to just continue to push out. The same thing goes for, like, if if you have a kid that's a growing, that's a golfer, that's, you know, that's really good, they're aspiring to play the U.S. Junior. It sounds like this is going to be tied into the U.S. Junior, maybe not the first year, but quickly after. 
So if your kids wants to play the U.S. Junior, that's the pinnacle of golf, like the Western Junior, the U.S. Junior. Those are the pinnacles of junior golf. You know what's probably going to be the Western Golf Association's probably going to follow the USGA. You know, they are they're historic organizations. So all of a sudden, if your kid wants to, you know, compete at the highest level, they're going to start to use this golf ball and so on and so forth. The amateur level, same thing. Now, where I find where all this the wrench comes in is if the tour says we are not doing that. And I think that 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 is a it's it's inter- they obviously have the power to do it. But the thing about it is, I think it's a really bad marketing play by them if they do it, because it's saying, hey, we don't want to play these rules. We'd prefer to have the game dulled down, especially, you know, it would be super weird after we watch people play Augusta National and have to hit a wide array of shots and even accentuate the product difference that we see. Like we watch Augusta and it's like, God, I wish every week of golf was like this. And then have that accentuated by like, oh, we're going to see these guys hit more shots into the best golf course, in the you know, that that they play year in, year out. And then they're going to go to Harbortown, a tiny little course with a souped up golf ball. It, it, it's going to further, like there's a running joke that the tour is almost like WWE is to wrestling as to what major championship golf is with like the TIO relief they get, the favorable rulings, the lift clean in place. If they refuse to accept the equipment stuff, it's just going to accentuate that fact that like, you know, the PGA Tour doesn't play the same golf that you play. And I don't think the players are going to want to go back and forth. The play, What do the players on the PGA Tour care about? They care about the majors. Specifically, they care about the Masters, the U.S. Open, and the Open Championship. Those are the three tournaments they care the most about. The PGA Championship, we don't really know what's going on with the PGA of America, but we've heard rumblings that they're not stoked about the model local rule. But I think that the Masters, the U.S. Open, and the Open hold a lot of cards here, and that what we see is a bit of a game of chicken going on between the PGA Tour and those three majors. Because I think that the PGA Tour knows that if the top three majors implement this ball, that they're probably going to have to follow suit. I think that they know that they don't quite have the clout to stand up against those three majors and say to the players, you have to play one ball on our tour, or you get to play one ball on our tour, and then you're going to have to switch for the most important tournaments of the year. I honestly don't think that most players are going to go for that. And that what most players would want is for the PGA Tour to pressure the USGA and RNA in this comment period to drop this idea. I think that's why you're seeing so many tour players come out so strongly against it, right? We've seen Justin Thomas speak out. We've seen Keegan Bradley open his mouth. We've seen Charlie Hoffman go on PGA Tour radio. We've seen a lot of guys come out really aggressively against this. And I think the reason for that is that their preferred situation would be if this idea just went away. But I don't think it's going to go away. And I think that once the most important majors start to use this model local rule, that the PGA Tour is going to be in a really tough spot because it's going to seem like they're not playing real golf and their players are not going to want to switch back and forth and you know play a, a, a ball that they're not used to for their most important events of the year. I, you know, and this is the thing is I don't think it's going to be that big of an adjustment. Everybody's kicking and screaming right now about it. But the yeah. reality is, is like 
it's going to be a little bit of adjustment, but they aren't take they aren't changing all the clubs either. You know, like, mm-hmm. and I think that's like one of the things if we wanted to talk about what we wish they would have done, and I understand why they couldn't get there, and maybe this is the first regulation um, that pushes the ability to say, hey, this isn't all that bad that we changed, but. You know, the one thing with the tour is if they go to this, if they stick with their ball and they don't go to this, like, who's going to play the week before the Masters? Who's who is those tournaments are just going to be wiped off the schedule, right? Like nobody's playing the week before the Masters or the or the week before the U.S. Open or the week before the Open and not playing with the tournament ball, right? Yeah, they're 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 going to have at least I mean, yes, they're the best players in the world. They should be able to make this adjustment, but if they're going back and forth, they'll need a little bit of time to dial things in and get their yardages and and make sure that everything's, you know, in, in line for a big, important tournament. I, I think you're right that the week before a major, if they have to adjust to a different ball, they're probably going to have to spend some time optimizing that ball. I think we both agree that this politically was a smart and strategically a pretty smart move by the by the USGA, the way they've rolled this out. I think that I would say that uh, if I summed up both of us, we're a little disappointed. Like in an ideal world, you'd see this across all of golf. <laughs> well, I mean, that that was a, that was my first reaction. I wish this were a universal rollback and I still feel that way. But I understand the political maneuver a little bit better now than I did when the announcement was made. But, you know, a year ago, they were looking at doing a model local rule for the driver and doing a universal rollback for the ball. And I'm a little bit disappointed that that hasn't stayed that way, that we're no longer looking at the driver and that we're no longer looking at the idea of a universal rollback for the ball. It seems like the governing bodies have seeded the point that a rollback of the amateur's ball would be bad for the recreational game. When I don't think that's the case, I don't think that they should admit that point that a shorter ball is necessarily worse or less fun or somehow unattractive for recreational players, because I just don't see it that way at all. You know, I've, I've kind of played golf with a self-imposed rollback for the last year. (laughs) Yeah, you have. So for those that I've talked a little bit about this on this podcast, but I I play with a Persimmon driver, uh, Titleist PT three wood, nineteen seventies blade irons, and you're 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 such a woke Andy. Look no, at you, I such a woke. Frankly, frankly, what happened was like <laughs> my my ten year old clubs, they broke, and I just That's haven't right. go, I haven't found the time to go get new ones from uh, from Club Champion. And like, I just haven't gone. Like, that's literally why this has happened. One, I've like had like great joy playing the game at a, a smaller scale. And we've heard this, this word used before, but I've had like incredible amount of fun playing golf courses and not bludgeoning them with a driver and a wedge. Like, I've, I think I've gotten. I think like I haven't played modern equipment, but like I think when I play it the next time, it's going to be like, whoa, like I've gotten a lot better over the last year because I've had to like work on different things. Like I've had longer approach shots into greens all for a year. You know, I just like I, my short game's better because I've missed a lot more greens. And that's, I think, the interesting thing about this when you talk about, you know, the tour is like and B recreational golf. The recreational golf takeaway is like, I have done this. 
I I think that's it's probably been pretty close to the yardage number that I've taken away from myself, and I've really enjoyed it. I have not mm-hmm. like I you know there are times when it's soft and I'm playing with people with modern equipment that I get a little frustrated, but for the most part, I've really never been like you know what this sucks that I don't have I can't hit it twenty five thirty yards further. This this is terrible. I will say. Also, like for the professional game, for people that are saying like, oh, power players are going to be so much more advantage because this is going to hurt shorter players more. I don't think so, because like if you're not hitting wedges all the time, golf becomes a lot harder for the power players. Like what needs to be looked at is not just like the strokes gain difference off the tee. What needs to then be looked at is like, how is the individual player from 150 versus 125. So look at that 125 versus the 150 number, but also the player, the shorter player, say they go from 175 to 200. What's the difference there, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a huge difference? And, you know, different players, it's going to be different things. Like certain players are going to be better at that. Around the green, I think is going to be more emphasized because of this. Yeah, I I think that... It should be seen, rollback should be seen less as a deficiency, less as taking something away, and more as sort of changing the nature of the game that you play. And for some people, it will be a a disadvantage, let's be honest, if you play from the same tees and you rely on a certain amount of distance off the tee and you have less distance, then yeah, you're going to be hitting longer clubs. But for other people, it might be good for them to have tighter dispersion, uh, the tighter dispersion of a shorter drive. You know, I, I think that it's just more complex than saying rollback is a disadvantage to recreational golfers or something that makes the game more difficult, because I just don't think it would feel that way in reality. And part of this comes from my memories of playing golf before the 460cc driver. You know, I was young, but I did play golf in the 90s. And guess what? It was just as fun then as it is now. It wasn't that big of a deal to me that my three wood was sometimes easier to hit off the tee than the driver. That was fine. That was a feature of the game. You know, and we played with spinnier balls that traveled a shorter distance. The game was still incredibly fun. It was still the greatest game I had ever played in my life. And so anyway, that's that's my take on that. Now, we should get to the guests that you have yes. lined up um, because people – we could talk forever about this, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it in the future. But uh, who's next up on on the docket here? We got Tom Doak first. He will be uh, up, and uh, he obviously has some interesting thoughts on architecture and how this applies to his job. Then we have Roberto Castro. I wanted to have somebody on that was – very connected to the PGA Tour game, but maybe not like right in it right now. So they have a little bit, you know, it's one of those, can you see the forest through the trees type situation? And uh, and then Joseph Lamagna to talk about strategy. We got into it a little bit, but he has some more thoughts on how golf will change if there's 15 to 20 yard reduction in drivers. Okay, let's go to it. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, which is Club TFE. This is the membership for the fried egg. Um, One of the things that I made a very conscious uh, 
decision when I started this company seven years ago was that we would not be taking money from equipment sponsors that wanted a a our voice to be, hey, buy this club, use this ball, it's the best, because it's something that I just didn't believe in. I believe that there is no best ball. There's a best ball for you. There's a best club for you. But also, I believe that, you know, the game had kind of gotten a little out of balance and that a, uh, you know, regulation was probably needed. And, you know, I never wanted a company that financially supported us to have a role in how we talked about the game. So, you know, obviously that is a, a big revenue source for most media companies in golf, and that's not a revenue source for us. One of the ways that we uh, support our staff continue to grow and continue to improve the content we put out is through Club TFE, which also happens to be a way for you to fuel your golf addiction. Uh, We are posting daily articles uh, Monday through Friday in Club TFE. Every Wednesday, we have a detailed course review write-up with a rating. Uh, We have a monthly member video. We have a monthly hangout, which is kind of just like a live podcast. And uh, we have a lot more early event access, uh, discounts to the pro shop. It is uh, it's something that we're excited about. We want to continue to build and grow. And it is a awesome, probably the best way for you to support the fried egg and what we do here. So if you're interested in the membership, if you want to check it out, go to membership.thefriedegg.com. It is $120 for the year, and uh, it gets you a lot of stuff. I, I think, you know, we I've been really impressed with our team and our output and our dedication towards it. It is something that we, we want to be a really special product. It is not just a, a GoFundMe type thing. It is a product. We are putting a lot of our time and energy into it, and I, and I think everybody on the team is very proud of what we've done with it so far. So... If you're uh, interested in supporting us, uh, membership.thefriedegg.com. It's $120 for the year. And uh, now back to our discussion on on the latest uh, USGA and RNA news. Tom, with the rollback news uh, today and geared towards elite players, you recently uh, completed a golf design that was, you know, obviously part municipal golf, but also part hosting a PGA Tour event every year in Memorial Park in Houston. How, if any, would you have changed your design for that golf course with this uh, reduction in distance in mind? Honestly, I don't think it changes what we did much at all. I mean, you know, you're talking about a five or six percent rollback of the golf ball from from what I can tell from the the little bit that I've heard so far. And, you know, what I've always tried to do is recognize that even tour players hit at different distances. You know, some guys carry at 300 yards, some guys carry at 290, a few can hit carry at 315. So you don't, I've never, I've always tried to avoid putting all the hazards at a certain distance thinking, you know, if you can carry it 300, then you're good and you should be rewarded all the time. And if you can only carry it 285, well, then you're not so good and you have to hit it into tighter spaces all the time. Um, so Memorial Park has a range of carries, you know, and and there's a couple of them, like the the shot from the back tee on 16, that to carry the most part of the water on the right is a little over 300 yards. And if this 
you know, if I'm reading this rollback right, there's a lot fewer guys that are going to take that on, that particular carry on, unless the wind is helping them or something like that. But, you know, all it's going to do is slide back the scale a little bit of, you know, the guys, the guys that can carry it further now are going to have to play up more like the guys who are a little shorter and the guys who are on the short end of the stick now are going to have to think back a little bit further too. And, you know, and there's going to be one or two holes where they've got to give up trying to make a certain carry. In a way, could you, would you agree that this would make your golf course perhaps even a little bit more versatile? If, if this is only being applied to the elite players and not to the people that play Memorial Park every day, you're just, you're narrowing the gap a little bit there. You know, you're, you know, you're letting all the amateurs go out and still hit the ball just as far as they do. And, and you're shortening the gap between them and the tour pros from, you know, probably 50 or 60 yards now down to 30, which that makes a difference. But, and, and, you know, the, the, the one thing this will affect is that the scoring will go up a little bit. If everybody's hitting two more clubs into green, that's going to matter some. It's not going to, I don't think it's going to change the approach of what they're trying to do. You know, I don't think that they're going to go away from attacking as many pins because they've got an eight iron to the green instead of a wedge, but it will have some effect. You know, it's, you know, if you, if you, you know, I, I don't know the numbers very well, but you can look very clearly on the, all those charts they have now and say, okay, if everybody's hitting approaches from 20 yards further out, we know what the scoring differential is there between 140 yard approaches and 160 yard approaches. And you can count on the scores going up that much. Yeah. And then furthermore with that, obviously is that, you know, it's not just the driver, you know, their irons will be slightly, it won't be as short, but they will be a little bit shorter too. I imagine for you as a designer, this, gives you the opportunity a little bit more of an opportunity. It seems like it's a very hard thing to do is to get a longer iron, like a five iron or more into a professional's hand on a par four. I imagine that this will do that. Yes, it will. You know, by the same token, it's going to mean, I mean, if anything, it means they'll hit driver, you know, even more of all the time everywhere now because <laughs> they, because they, you know, they've, it's been beaten into them. They need to get up there. And if if hitting an iron off the tee means they're that much further back in the rough than they would have been before, they're not willing to take that chance. They're just going to pound driver all day. Um, unless they're trying to hit into a funnel with water on both sides. Obviously, they don't do that. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing that I'm super interested to see with the strategy component is if let's we know that like, there's huge value to get a wedge in the rough versus a seven iron in the fairway. But when you move that back and it's a seven iron in the rough, or let's just say a five iron in the fairway, right? how does that change? I'm sure there's data and I apologize that I don't have this data. I'm not a, a course strategist, but that's what I'm wondering if that is a smaller Delta there. And then all of a sudden, does it start to present more of a choice off the tee? Maybe, but I don't think, you know, I've always thought that the biggest change in my lifetime in the equipment, it wasn't the ball, it was the driver. 
And, you know, the reason those guys and, you know, they do use three wood off the Tia Ferramat now, but the driver just has there's such a big face there and you can go at it so hard and, you know, miss way up on the toe somewhere. And it only costs you like five yards on the carry. To me, that the, 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 the biggest lesson for me from the Renaissance Club in Memorial Park was that, they're, that the pros distance control is so consistent because the equipment is so forgiving that it, it's almost impossible to, you know, make a carry on a golf course that, you know, they don't ever miss, you know, they don't make a mistake with a carry because if they hit, you know, if you made them hit driver 50 times and they, and their average carry was 300 yards, I think the margin for error now, like the, the worst drive out of 50 is going to go like 294, 295. So all they, you know, if they know it's more than 290, you know, if they know 290 is the carry, they can go for that every time and they're never going to miss. Whereas 20 years ago, that was not true. You know, you could, there was always a chance of not having a perfect on center hit and the ball didn't fly so far and you had trouble. And now it's like 295 over water. Oh, yeah, I'm going to make that every time. It sounds like the USGA uh, looked at that and they thought it might be too complicated to implement doing some sort of a change along those lines. Years ago, I did a little experiment. I never published the results of this, but I. I went to a uh, a track man and I hit hickory driver, a persimmon driver, and then mm-hmm. a a modern my modern driver. And what was and I hit about ten to twenty shots with them. And what was interesting was to look at the dispersion. It was it's just what you're talking about. And the dispersions were like a horizontal line, or yep. not like a diagonal. I'm trying to explain this in a non-visual uh, format, but it was like a diagonal with the with the persimmon, the smaller head drivers, the persimmon and the hickory. What I saw was there was a diagonal, which was like kind of short. You had that short right miss that was the short uh-huh. misses. And then the left, it, it kind of like it had that wide dispersion of right and left. But then there was a short right component of it where yeah. where the ball's just not going very far if you missed it a certain way. Right. But then when you got to the modern driver, it was just like a horizontal line yeah. where the distance was basically the same, but you would miss right or left. So right. it removes that short miss from a miss hit when you that's what's happened with modern drivers is the right. what you've been saying that forgiveness for a high swing speed player is just off the charts. And, you know, I mean, it's not just, you know, I recognize it with the driver because that affects even me. Mm-hmm. You know, pros generally, they're not missing the driver way up on the top. <laughs> they, they, they're pretty good. Uh, you know, so, so it goes through all the clubs in their bag too, where I really realized it, you know, Padraig Harrington now is consulting on the Renaissance Club in Scotland. And we were, we were sitting in his kitchen talking through the holes and we got to the 17th hole and, you know, 17 is a long par three and there's a deep ass bunker left front, which you don't see very well from the tee. And it's only really in play with the pin on the left. So one or two days out of four. But we, we, when we went to look at that hole, Padraig said, oh, I forgot that bunker was even there. 
And I said, wait, you've, you know, the hole's like 220, you know, you got to carry it 200 and something over the bunker. You're not even thinking about that. And he's like, no, the way the green is, I'm trying to, you know, the, the green slopes away from the bunker a little bit. So I'm trying to land the ball eight yards on. I'm never going to be eight yards short from 220. <laughs> And he meant it, <laughs> you know, he wasn't joking. He was like, I'm never going to make that, have that miss. And I'm like, well, what the hell am I even doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of professionals, this is just came across my desk. Uh, we're, we're recording this while, while professional golfers comments are rolling in. Um, okay. we got, we got one from Webb Simpson and uh, I'm the question to you would be, how would you respond to Webb Simpson's commentary that the solution to the distance problem is better architecture and more specifically, more rough and more trees. Uh, I don't know Webb Simpson's game well enough, but you know, anytime a player says more rough and more trees, he's a straight hitter and not a really long hitter. And he just (laughs) wants the long hitters punished when they hit a wild tee shot, which I could totally understand from his perspective. You know, the problem about talking with any, tour pro or really any golfer about their perspective on this stuff is that it's all based on their own game. You know, you know, even Jack Nicholas, when we were working at Sabonic, you know, Jack is, you know, he's well aware that, you know, Tiger Woods and the younger generation, they hit it, you know, 30 yards farther than Jack did back then. But to Jack, you know, a 280 yard carry was, was a reasonable carry. And if you could make that, you should be rewarded. And if you didn't hit it solid, you know, to him, it was, it was still the way we we were talking about how golf used to be. If you didn't hit the driver so solid and it didn't make that carry, then you should be punished for that. But he just, you know, he couldn't help but think of it in terms of his own game, even though he knows better that there's plenty of other guys that hit at different distances than that. I mean, to be a great golfer, there is a uh, a self uh, pursuit aspect. Like you have to be very selfish, and you have to view kind of the world of golf through a very like it's it's very hard to be, you know, almost like a you know thinking of other people and be a successful pro golfer. Yes, and 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 you know more than that, they want to believe that if they you know they know when they're hitting the ball well or not well. And they want to be rewarded for hitting the ball well. Webb Simpson's idea of hitting the ball well is I'm hitting it straight on the fairway all the time. So the golf course should be tighter. And if I can't hit that fairway, I should be punished for, you know, and other guys, it's more about how far they hit. Yeah, it's a great point. I think if you pulled, uh, you know, Jason Kokrak to Webb Simpson, I'm amazed that you prefaced it by saying, you know, nothing about Webb Simpson's game and then, uh, then explained Webb Simpson's game to a T. (laughs) Um, but if you compared those two players, you'd you'd get wildly different opinions on how a golf course should be set up. Um, so a bigger question. And I think, uh, you know, if they had, taken this approach to roll back for the entire game not just the professional game and it seems like what you're getting at is not much would change with how you designed a course for a professional how would golf course design and management change if this was applied universally across the board to golf again i don't think it changes that much i mean you know the average player the deltas are way bigger on their misses and how far they hit you know, how far one, you know, if you're a 10 handicapper, 
Some of them hit the ball 290 and some of them hit the ball 200 yards. And you can still be a 10 handicapper under either of those scenarios, depending on how the rest of your game. You know, the, the thing about why the tour pros are so consistent is partly you have to be really good at all parts of the game to survive out there. You know, it's not like there's tour pros with, who hit it great, but have bad short games. That won't work. And it's not like there are tour pros that hit it bad, but have great short games. That's not good enough to be one of the 100 best players in the world. But but when you're talking about the average golfer, the 10 or 15 handicapper, yeah, there's huge variations in what kind of golf they play. And that's why there's huge variations in what kind of courses they like. I think you're spot on. And I just want to clarify a point. When people talk about, oh, this guy's not a doesn't have a great short game on the PGA Tour, that's in comparison to his peers who are the very, very best in the mm-hmm. world. Not like, you know, in my years of caddying, you could create an eight handicap that has such wildly different skill sets, right? One could right. be really long off the tee, two are long off the tee, but an eight handicap because it's wild and it's very inconsistent. And just right. awful around the green. And the other guy is a 65-year-old guy that used to be scratched <laughs> and still hits every shot exactly flush, and he's just not long enough to be any better than an eight handicap. Exactly. So it's important like to, to reference. When, when, when there's criticism of a tour pro's putting, for example, if, if you took that guy and put him at your club or your local course, he would probably be by far the best putter there. You know, like that's the thing that I think sometimes people like overlook is how good, how great these guys are everything, you know, and how wildly different Um, in terms of like for there to be a shift in design, how drastic would the changes have to be? Uh, You know, they've been talking about this for 40 years. And if they'd have if they'd have stopped the growth 30 years ago. It would be different and you wouldn't see got, you know, a course wouldn't have to be 7,500 yards to be a tour site. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, you know, I thought that they were probably going to talk about a 10% rollback, which would be enough to, you know, not build some of the crazy back tees that we've been building. Um, some people talked about a 15% rollback that would get, you know, that would bring Rory McIlroy back to where Jack Nicholas was 40 years ago. That would be, that would, that might have serious implications for course strategy at that point. You know, now you're talking about hitting pretty long clubs into a lot of the greens. You can't be in the rough for that. And now you got to think about, okay, you know, where is the balance of hitting the fairways more versus, versus getting a little farther. But you know, I, I don't think a five or six percent different change makes a real difference in in terms of how people attack the golf course. Because really, all you're talking about is I don't know I don't know when the average PGA Tour driving distance was six percent shorter, but it wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was in my professional lifetime, and I haven't really started. I haven't really changed much in my professional lifetime about how I approach design. There, you know. The, the change has been incremental, and it's certainly way different now than it was 35 years ago, but not to a level that, oh, you know, we got to start designing everything differently. I think what you what you talked about with like 15%, for example, what that could also lead, like you talked about the strategy change, but 
Another thing that might change is the golf ball makeup at that point. If all of a sudden guys are hitting very long irons into play and into greens rather than short irons and greens are firm, they might value a spinnier golf ball. You know, these yeah. are, these are all different things that that could, you know, there when this is a very small change and it limits the downstream you know, effects that it does. It's a very safe right. change, really, when very you think safe. about it. Yeah. Um, because when you start to do a bigger and bigger change, that's where you start to have the more unforeseen downstream changes that could come up. And, right. you know, I obviously it's a, uh, we're still three years from implementation and I think there's, the, nothing is final. So it'll be, fun to watch this um tom i really appreciate you coming on and giving us your insights on on the uh, latest chapter in the 200 year golf debate all right andy thank you roberto what uh what do you think about the changes introduced today uh the you know reduction in just the tour professionals eff- effectively distance by 15 to 20 yards via the swing speed test of the uh of the technology what are your overarching thoughts on the news from the USGA and RNA today my thoughts are pretty simple i think it's just a no brainer the how is you know up for debate if it's 10 if it's 15 if it's 20 i'm sure it'll affect some players more than others the details you know we can talk about but just the headline to me i kind of was like okay that needed to happen kind of moved on with my day that, that's how i see it what do you mean by it had to happen and it's a no-brainer why is it a no-brainer i think there's just two factors one the golf ball continues to fly farther and that can be for a number of different reasons. You can say it's the driver. You can say it's the ball. You can say it's faster players. And all of those might be true, and all of them are true to some extent. But the ball continues to go longer, and the courses don't get longer. So at some point, either you're going to play a completely different game, unlike the one that really how the game was designed to be played, which in my opinion is 14 clubs. You hit some long shots. You hit some short shots. You have to be kind of good at all the shots to be really good. Or you can't expand the golf courses anymore. It's just not, it's literally not possible anymore to add. You can't have 10,000 yard golf courses. There's roads and neighborhoods and there's no more land and no more water. So ball continues to go farther. Courses don't get longer. Something had to be done. You know, I uh, I have to say, I I was I wanted to have you on because I thought, oh, he's he's a retired former player. He's going to have no bias, kind of no dog in this fight. But I just recalled that you just lost your course record at TBC Sawgrass this past weekend, so there could be some bias sneaking in here. I blame the rules officials for that. The setup was no, uh, that was you know <laughs> that was actually like obviously the course was gettable that day. But here's what happened there. You're talking about a $25 million purse and a guy who shot 78 on Thursday. And he backs into the cut. Like he shoots a nice round on Friday. The cut moves to two over. And we've all been there as pro golfers. Like when you make that cut on the number, especially like if it kind of moves your way, it's the it's the lightest feeling in professional golf. You go play on Saturday and you're like, if I shoot 90, I shoot 90. I'm still going to collect a check I didn't think I was going to get. And all I have is upside. And he caught a day where the conditions were favorable. 
all he could do was just go put stuff more cash into his pocket and he shot 62. So it was that was cool. It was a great round. Uh, a notorious gambler, as you described, playing with house money. House money. It's <laughs> it's house money. You put the chips on the table and they can't take any away. All they can do is add to your stack. You don't have to be a professional gambler, quasi-professional gambler, to know that's a good deal. Um, all right. So back to the subject at hand. Sorry for the quick quick divergence i just was listening to you talk and thinking about my about the about the uh the feeling on saturday you had probably um why do you think some tour pros are so adamantly opposed to the rollback people just are generally hardwired to oppose change a lot of a lot of people and if you are on the pga tour currently you have the best job in the world you've worked you know, you've worked your ass off to get that job. You've built a skill set. So anything that could potentially throw that off kilter is uh, is probably a little concerning. And I could see how there would be pushback. Do you think there's any credence to or, you know, could explain how these guys are saying that the rollback will hurt the product? Do you think there's any validity to that? I don't think so. I think if the ball was going to go 240 yards, it might hurt the product. But I think there is a very large disconnect between the reason people play golf. There's golf and then there's professional golf and the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour. And I think we tend to mash those up too much. Most people go to the golf course, invest their time and their money because they enjoy playing the game of golf. And that has nothing to do really with what happens on Sunday on the PGA or LPGA Tour. And look at this COVID golf boom. Like, did First of all, I think it's real. I think a lot more people have come into the game of all ages, all stripes, all colors, and they're sticking to it. And what happened on the LPGA or PGA Tour that could explain that? Nothing. Nothing's different. There's some stars in the game. There are some great players. Some like Nothing is that considerably different. If this was going to happen, you would have said it would have happened with Tiger Woods, not Rom or Scheffler, who are the best players in the game now. What happened is people had time. People had time to go try golf and they had flexibility with their work life and they loved the game. They didn't say like, oh my gosh, like, did you see the Honda Classic this weekend? I'm going to go take up golf. That didn't happen. Now, once they do take up golf, they do enjoy watching the tour and the LPGA tour because once you've hit a few golf balls yourself, it is amazing to see what the tour players can do and the competition is really compelling. But I don't think it hurts the product at all. You know, it's a pretty small reduction. It's 5 to 10%. And I, you you could call me I I mean I'm in my late I'm getting towards my late 30s now. You could call me an old fuddy duddy or whatever. I feel like I I move the ball pretty well myself off the tee. One thing I noticed is I think this actually could help the product from like spectating in person. I'll never forget at the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits I was like having trouble picking up Bryson's ball off the <laughs> tee because it was going so fast. Like, yeah. you know, to a certain extent, I think that the product in person could be like, I'll never forget, you know, watching a Honda Classic in the early 2000s. And I sat behind a tee box all day. And the distance the ball wasn't traveling wasn't what made me unbelievable. I'll, I'll never forget VJ Singh walking up to the tee like he had that you know that saunter right and he gets up to the tee and just the prodigious 
height that he hit the ball, like the way the ball launched off the face. It seems to me nothing about that is changing with a five to 10% reduction in distance. Like the launch angle, all of that is staying the same. That's what is super impressive. There's no way to gauge if a ball is flying 310 yards or 300 yards, whether you're in person or you're watching on TV. It is more about the way the ball comes off the face. And I I think a question I would have is like, how far would have been too far from your perspective as a tour player? Because I think that this is almost feels like, and it seemed like it was almost admitted to be a Band-Aid solution. Yeah, I think you're right. First of all, I remember going to tour events as a kid and being shocked at the driving range at how they just clipped every shot so pure. Like every single shot was perfect. And that's my like vivid memory of watching golf as a kid, like going to tour events and my aunt played on the LPGA. So I would go watch her hit golf balls when I was a kid. And I was like, she just hits every shot perfect. And as a PGA tour player, you do a corporate clinic and like you could roll straight out of the car, grab a seven iron and hit a seven iron that to me felt like chunky and stiff and wasn't any good. And Every single person on that range at that clinic is like, oh my gosh, effort. Like, look at that shot. What a perfect golf shot, right? So that I that, that doesn't affect the product at all, that the ball goes 10% shorter. Um, I think it could make the product better because I was watching Sawgrass this weekend and the most compelling hole other than 17, which is obviously amazing to watch when it's windy, but 16 is the most fun hole to watch because they're all hitting like, 200 to 220 yard second shots, which is what used you used to hit into a par four occasionally, maybe once or twice around. And golf is still really hard from that distance. Like so few guys were hitting the green. They were bailing out left, not many in the water. But if you can start putting some six irons and five irons back in players' hands, I think that the product gets better because it's just more interesting than driver wedge. So to answer how much would have been too much, I don't think you need to go back to, you know, the the long hitters today carry the ball 300 to 310 yards. And I think if it flies 280 or 290, great. I don't think taking them to hitting it 260, like you're, you know, that's be too much to do at one time, but it's just, it's just gotten so crazy. Like, you know, ball speeds of 170 with three woods now. And Min Woo Lee hit an iron that had a 172 ball speed. Like, I don't think we're going too far here, folks. Like, it's, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I kind of come to thinking about like 480 yard par fours as like what they've become has been. It's, it's crazy that like they've become, you know, just say normal conditions, no crazy wind, nothing. You're talking about long hitters hitting driver nine iron. Yeah, maybe driver wedge. You're talking about like middle of the road PGA Tour players. It's driver seven iron. Yep. And to me, that's that's wild. 480 yards. Like what I remember, and I don't want this to be like a nostalgia, but I remember as a kid, we're about the same age. I remember as a kid, like 450 yards when I was in high school was like a beast, you know. And you and I think that USGA did a nice job today talking about it talking about we've been out at the junior tournaments like we we go to the junior am we see what what is going on because like 
it, it's so drastically different when you watch the amateur and junior level to the early 2000s, which is really where it kind of feels like they're trying to push it back to than yep. it is now, you know? Yeah, totally. And the, so I've seen the Instagram videos of like the speed training that kids are doing. There's that one coach, he gets like four kids at a time and they're lined up on a mat and they're doing like step-by-step speed training. It's like, oh, well, you know, athletes are better and they're training better. Okay, fine. But it's the USGA's job to protect the game. It's to write the rules of the game so that the game is played in the spirit of the game. And we made up the rules to start with, like, (laughs) so we can change them, right? And I think the game was designed to be played with a multitude of shots, and that has gone away because of the long distances. So let's make it more interesting through the bag, and let's make the courses play like they're designed to. I heard that I've never played at LACC, but I was talking to Bryce Mulder the other day who played on tour and he goes over there for work now a good bit and has played there a bunch. And he said the back nine is like over 4,500 yards or something. He said there can be four, there's like four, he's like, I don't know where they'll put the tees, but there are four or five par fours that are 550. Like that's not normal. That's not possible. Most places, obviously Augusta did the big deal at 13 this year, but that's not going to be possible all over that golf course. So I think this is the right move. What type of player um, do you think will be most advantaged and most disadvantaged by, let's just say, to use a blanket, 15 to 20 yard reduction in distance? I don't think it shuffles the world ranking hardly at all. I think that everyone is going to hit it shorter. The best strikers are still the best strikers. The best putters are still the best putters. I just think it makes the gameplay more interesting. And more interesting from your standpoint is a wider variety of clubs hit into the green. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Strategically, I mean, you played in the era where like strategy became a big thing on tour and the strategy is not from like the romantic golf architecture standpoint, hitting it to certain sides of the fairway. Strategy is if I can hit a driver and push it up there without it get it going into a hazard, that is the best idea for the best thing for me to do, you know, versus laying back and hitting it from the fairway for the most part. The idea of pushing driver. What do you think, you know, obviously that has changed. And I think my big question with this is, does does that change if all of a sudden, instead of pushing it up to a wedge, I'm pushing it up to a eight or a seven iron versus I could take a five iron in the fairway or versus a, say a seven iron in the wedge standpoint. Does that, do you think that has any, could have any strategic impact, the shorter driving distance? That's a good question. And I'd actually, I'm not the best person to answer this. I was not a super stats guru. I mean, that was coming online when I was on tour you might know more about it and have more conversations about it. But I think part of that, like hit it as close to the green as possible was driven by, there were just more players that could hit it really far. Like there just wasn't a 320 shot in the bag for most guys on tour in 2010. Right. And then as more of those guys came on tour, that became an option. They had to decide how they wanted to play the golf courses. So, so it's hard to answer whether um, that, that strategy will really change. I do know that, driving it straight. I know you're big on the driver face and, you know, going to a smaller driver that's less forgiving. I think it's still pretty easy to hit the driver crooked. It really is. Like 
you, you saw it uh, at Bay Hill on I know these are the last two tournaments I watched. Nobody could hit that 16th fairway. And when it mattered on 16 and 18, it was really hard to hit it straight. And 15 was the same way. Like guys were not hitting it straight coming down the stretch. And Rory, you know, whether he's having a hard time finding a driver or just wasn't swinging his driver great at TPC, he missed the cut by eight shots. So it's still very possible to hit a crooked tee shot in today's world uh, with today's equipment. Do you think it would be advantageous to have less forgiveness in drivers? Do you think the driver spec, not addressing any driver specs, equipment specs is, is a miss, or do you think they got it right by not touching anything with that? Uh, I think that that would potentially change the world ranking a little bit more than changing the golf, like just having the ball go short, 20 yards shorter for everyone. I think the same skills still matter. I do think that if you change the forgiveness of drivers or clubs, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that if you put like a small headed driver and everyone on tour had to play straight blades and you had to carry a three wood and then a two iron and a three iron and a four iron, that some play the, the, re, the world rankings would shuffle a little bit. Like a really pure striker would rise up. They're already at the top, right? Like the same top five would be the same top five. But kind of that, like Adam Scott would go from 25th in the world to like sixth in the world, right? Because he's just an absolute flusher. And they, I mean, Rory said this before where he's like, if a hybrid wasn't invented, I separate from the field even more because I can hit a three iron up my nose. And now a guy like me, a low speed guy from 240, I can hit a hybrid or a five wood. And I was pretty good with a five wood, right? Rory's three iron is more impressive, but actually I would bet that like, give me a hundred balls versus Rory's three iron, my five wood, pretty decent. But if we're if we're all playing straight blades and it goes back to less forgiving clubs, he's going to outrun me really fast. Yeah. That's the thing. And you see Rory play great. Like he didn't have his A game. He almost won Bay Hill. And one of the reasons that he plays great at Bay Hill is that that's one of the few courses that requires you, you hit six or seven long irons there. And I mean, I, I, I wrote about this in the Friday newsletter. It pained me to write about it. But like it gives Bay Hill actually an identity as the lack of variety in the golf course is is unique because it's like, oh, these guys have to hit a ton of long irons. And like Bryson played well there. Bryson was a great long iron player. Like, you know, everybody talked about his, his distance off the tee. He's always been a great long iron player. And it's interesting when you start to think about the game a little bit differently in terms of like finding the center and having long irons, it really drastically, I think that's what, you know, people that long for the game of the 70s, that's what they long for, is the idea that the the greatest skill in the game is the ability to hit that towering long iron. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I think um, it's still rewarded. It really is. And, like, the height part is really probably underrated and under-talked about. Like, I was reasonably successful tour player and played well on hard courses, and was on the shorter half of the spectrum. I mean, became really short. But when I started, I was kind of in the middle and then I steadily moved down in distance. But the main reason was I could hit it high. I really could hit high shots with four, five, six, seven irons. And it was a big advantage on hard golf courses. And, you know, if you add distance to that, now you're really cooking. With a shorter, I don't know if you're there, you're an engineer, so this might be right up your wheelhouse. With with the ball going shorter, do you think there will be a push for a little bit more spin in the ball because you're going to have longer shots into greens, into firm greens? 
that's possible. It's very possible. You, I mean, again, you saw that on 16 at, at Sawgrass this week. That, that whole uh, Once it rained on the weekend, it wasn't so much, but it was hard for them to hold that green with that 200 to 220-yard type shot. Um, last question. If you're the tour, is there any real thought to rejecting this from the USGA and saying, no, we're going to play by our rules? I don't see what the upside would be to that. The governing bodies, the tour, the RNA, you know, the PGA of America, they all have a really good relationship. I think they've kind of walked in lockstep probably more than ever the last few years. I don't see, I'm sure they've all been in communication throughout this whole time. I would be very surprised if that was the case, but that's just my, my take. Mm-hmm. All right, Roberto, thanks for coming on. You've got a podcast that everybody can uh, check out, The Course Record Show. I listened to podcasts and to prepare for my uh, interview with Joe Ogilvie that, uh, last week that was fin- fantastic. Anything new with your, with your show? No, we just, we're focusing on the business of golf. So you had Joe to talk about the, um, the tour regulations and field sizes. We picked some golf companies and ran through who owns them, whether Joe would buy or sell as a professional investor. So we will be uh, always kind of looking at the business side of the golf industry. Yeah, it's it's a worth. I I love uh, love checking the episodes out and listening. It's a definitely a unique podcast, which is the most important thing in a crowded space. Is you've got a uh, a very unique angle and obviously a, a very unique perspective, being somebody that's been very deeply entrenched in the game of golf. So uh, highly recommend everybody go check out your show. And thanks for coming on to talk about this. All right, Andy, good talking to you. All right, Joseph, you are, I would say, an advisor for strategy with uh, top end players, you know, at the amateur ranks, the developmental tour ranks, the PGA tour ranks. You really, you know, one of the things that you do is advise them on how to play a golf course. I, you know, to kick things off, I think, you know, I think a lot of people might understand this, but maybe give it a, you know, explanation on how the distance gains and power has impacted strategy in golf as of, you know, today. Okay. Yeah. A lot, a lot to unpack there. I'll try to keep it as succinct as possible. I think the, uh, as data has become more advanced, especially with the shot link system that was put in on the tour um, almost two decades ago and strokes gained Mark Brody's invention. There have been a lot of insights drawn that prior to that point, you would have had to just hypothesize. Now we know, right? Distance is one of the most reliable advantages on tour. You're going to hit the ball. You might not hit the ball straight every day, but if you're a long hitter, you're going to hit the ball long every day. So a lot of players have chased swing speed because they know that it's one of the most one of the most reliable advantages on tour. But there are a lot of other advantages on tour that have come from analyzing data, being aggressive off the tee, being conservative on your approach targets, like taking hazards out of play. There are some overarching principles that the top end players are adhering to, um, and I would say overall strategies. Players are getting better and better about strategy as the years go by. Whole Tenet Riviera is a great example, and they've shown those graphics where 10, 15 years ago, a lot of players were laying up 
now everyone's going for it. And part of that's equipment, which I'm sure we'll touch on today. So the idea is that the further you can hit it, the closer you can get and the easier the game gets from there. The basic hypothesis, assuming you don't hit it into a trap or a water hazard. I think that's the that's a simple way of looking at it. But I, I think the key insight is more that when you lay back with like a three wood or an iron off the tee, to the difference between your chance of hitting the fairway is outweighed by the distance gain of hitting a driver. And so a lot of people historically thought, okay, lay back with three wood because you're going to hit the fairway versus a driver. You're not going to hit the fairway, but that's a reductive way to look at it. And if you actually compare your chance of hitting the fairway with a driver versus a three wood, you'll quickly arrive at the conclusion that the driver is the better play. I'm simplifying a little bit, but that's the main, that's driving a lot of the decisions the players are making. So with that in mind, just, you know, a basis understanding of, of the strategy with that in mind, you know, the, the USGA has, has proposed these changes here. Now, if we remove say 15 to 20 yards off of tee shots, and obviously there's going to be some trickle down irons are going to go shorter to not as much will strategy fundamentally change on the PGA tour fundamentally absolutely not all the same concepts are going to apply in practice like are there going to be small modifications to how players play certain holes what kind of shots they select yeah I think so and there's a lot of unknowns right we need to see how this new ball reacts but there will be some small differences I think to say that oh, wow, now players are going to start playing golf courses completely differently would be a huge overstatement. It's not going to change very much. Mm -hmm. How how do you see more nuance? What are things that you look at with this and and think, oh, wow, that might be different? Yeah, I mean, I think approach targets will be interesting because um, long irons, generally players are getting really conservative with their targets, right? And the reason for that is that your dispersion pattern is pretty wide with a long iron versus a wedge you can get a little bit more aggressive because you have a tighter dispersion pattern. So now we'll just have to see how how those dispersion patterns change when you're hitting the ball a little bit shorter. And what, what is a long iron dispersion pattern versus a wedge? Like there'll just be some small changes there. I think the other thing we'll have to see how players off the tee dispersion patterns change with a spinnier ball, because if for some reason it's much easier to hit a three wood than a driver or something that could change when you hit three wood off the tee versus a driver. I don't expect that to be the case, but I want to I want to have more information before saying anything definitively. I was wondering too, you know, and this is something like, obviously one of the things that's happened and you explained like, you might hit the fairway less when you hit a driver than a fairway would. But the distance, the additional distance, the closer you get, like it's not a given that you're going to hit the fairway with a three wood if you lay back. Right. How far would that pendulum have to change? And does it change with like distance in? Is it then all of a sudden, does it change with like, if I, if all of a sudden I'm hitting a seven iron out of the rough instead of a wedge, then all of a sudden does that five iron out of the fairway look more advantageous than the seven iron from the fairway versus wedge? It would have to change pretty significantly. I think the the key here will be, does the dispersion pattern with the driver versus the three wood does that gap widen? Because 
it is true that a three wood generally the a player's dispersion pattern is tighter. It's not just that a driver goes farther, which is why you miss fairways more often. Your dispersion pattern is actually wider with a driver, not just distance, actual dispersion. So if that were to, if the, dis, the difference between driver and three wood were to significantly widen, then you'd, you'd arrive in more situations where three wood's the better play, especially if a fairway narrows where your driver is going to end up. That's true. If those dispersion patterns don't really change, I don't expect there to be much of an off the tee club selection, any any kind of fundamental shifts in how players are thinking about that. So we're just going to have to see. But if drivers in three woods kind of have the same-ish dispersion patterns as before, then no, I don't think that's going to come into play. I think players are going to keep being pretty aggressive with drivers. So the way, the fundamentally, the way we see guys play golf should stay pretty similar from a strategic standpoint with this this rollback. What type of rollback would you say you would need to see to have a significant change? Yeah, I don't, I'm not enough of an expert on some of the specifics of what you could do. But for example, if the driver, if the sweet spot was smaller and your dis- dispersion pattern started to get pretty wide, with driver because you have to hit it in the center of the face, then it would bring more three woods into play off the tee. Again, especially if the fairway tightens where your driver is supposed to go. So that I think you'd have to modify the driver most likely, but like with a spinnier ball, if you're into a significant wind, like I'm interested in seeing what those dispersion patterns look like. Cause that could be an instance where hitting three wood may make sense, even under these regulations that they've proposed. So Yeah, and I don't know if there's going to be a spinnier ball, but it would make sense possibly if you're hitting longer shots into greens on average that these players might want a little bit more spin, especially with how firm some greens get on tour. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of just general thoughts, do you have any general thoughts on the, on the news today and uh, and just, you know, the conclusions that you've come uh, come up with? Yeah, I think mean, I'm really happy to see something being done. The death of the long iron on par fours is something that I think we, you and I both have lamented over time. Like you don't see a lot of long irons hit on the PGA Tour. And I'm excited that even if it's a 5% reduction in distance, you're going to get more long irons and fewer, you know, more wedges turned into a nine iron or an eight iron. Like that does introduce more compelling play, even if it doesn't have a fundamental impact on how players strategize. I mean, that that will, could fundamentally change golf. And I don't I don't anticipate the top end changing uh, like the very top players it having an impact on. But, you know, if you turn wedges into eight irons, like if you turn four wedges into eight irons and that that could dramatically shift some of the prerequisite skills needed in golf, right? I think chipping probably just got a little more important, right? So that's one thing you could just directly point to. Guys are going to hit fewer greens. Um, The other thing that there will be some dialogue around is who does this benefit, like a long hitter or a short hitter? And uh, the the consensus seems to be the jerk reaction, the knee-jerk reaction that long hitters are going to benefit from this. I'm not sure that I quite see that. Padre Harrington said that. Um, Bryson DeChambeau kind of said the opposite. Like, this is penalizing me for working so hard and hitting it long. 
I do think this is going to benefit shorter hitters um, based on some, some, some theory and which holes, for example, for example, a short par four now, right? Let's say a 330 yard par four where a guy hits it 315 off the tee versus a player who hits it 300. That player who hits it 315 is at a significant advantage right now because he can get it within 10 to 15 yards of the green, which um, value of distance is really strong inside 50 yards. The incremental benefit, incremental benefit of having like an extra 10 to 15 yards is huge inside 50 yards. As we move that back, there's less of a benefit there now. So if a 330 yard par four did it is is more this uh, regulation change is leveling the playing field a little bit. That, that's not true of every length of hole, like a 450 yard par four. That just swung in favor of a long hitter now, barely, barely. But overall, we'll see how this shakes out. I actually think it's going to benefit a shorter hitter. That's I saw this too. This discourse that like short hitters are screwed, and I uh, I think the thing that's discounted about short hitters on the PGA Tour at this point, if you're a shorter hitter on the PGA Tour, that means you're like a freak of nature across the board with all the other aspects of the game. That means you are like extraordinarily good, and I think. For a short hitter that might be hitting a five iron into the green when a long hitter is hitting a nine iron into the green, them hitting a three iron into the green versus a five iron isn't as big of a deal as a long hitter going from a nine iron to a seven or a six iron. Well, where it's really big, so it'd be valuable if people looked up a plot. I mean, I'm trying to think of where one would exist, but where the value distance is biggest is generally inside the 50 yards. And then it gets pretty big between like 210 and 240 yards. That's where it gets pretty steep on the curve. Outside of that, like 260, 270, 280, the difference there, the marginal benefit of like 10 yards is not as significant. So some of these par fives, we're going to see some equalizing. And that's not going to be as tilted in favor of the long hitters. So the other, and the other thing I would... The other thing That's I would interesting. mention on... I think that would be run counter to what people would think is that you would think that the short par fours and the and the the par fives would be where the the long hitters have such an advantage with a rolled back ball, but that might not be the case. I think it's yeah, it should in theory equalize that a little bit more. I mean, they're still going to have an advantage, right? But it should equalize it a little bit more. I think the other huge thing to look for. I don't think carrying hazards is talked about enough in the value of distance discussion, but now with a 5% reduction in absolute terms, there are going to be fewer hazards that a long player can carry that a short player cannot. And so there you're going to be removing some of those scenarios where a Dustin Johnson, a Bryson DeChambeau, like some of those really long hitters, Rory, can carry a bunker that other players cannot. And that's significant, right? Like if if the difference between two drivers before was 308 versus a 300-yard carry, so eight yards, and now it's just a little bit smaller, it's shrunk down to whatever, four or five yards, we'll see. That just lessens the number of hazards that only the longest players could hit. So I think that's another way that this could equalize things a little bit. Yeah, like a great example of a golf course like that is the Detroit Golf Club where Bryson won, you know, 
and he literally could hit it over every single hazard, but a shorter hitter still had to contend with all these bunkers. I'll, I'll give you another example that, as you were saying, that came right to my mind. Hole two at Quail Hollow, that's a, that's a shot that a lot of the long hitters just send over the trees. And it's a huge advantage if you can take that over the trees. Dog leg left, and they just fire it over the, over the trees. I'm interested. Can you still do that? Like, we'll see with the, I mean, I don't even know if the PGA Tour is going to adopt these, this, this new ball, but if they were to, that'd be a really interesting tee shot because that's a classic example of where shorter players would benefit because now everyone would be sort of playing into the same location. All right, Joseph, uh, people can find your work on Twitter. Um, and uh, thank you for coming on and giving, uh, lending your expertise here on strategy and how this could potentially impact the top players and how they play golf courses. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Andy. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. It was edited by Matt Ruches. Thank you, Matt. As a reminder, we're, we're barreling down on, on the Masters. It's right around the corner. Um, if you want to get kind of inundated further into the game of golf and you don't already, check out the Fried Egg newsletter. We just did a great one on this on this subject of the podcast you just listened to. It's available on the website, that, that edition of the newsletter in full. I think Garrett did the word count. It was like 3,000 words. Um, we kind of split it up and, and dove into different topics about about this. So if you're still looking for more, I mean, this is it's such a big topic. I, I mean, I could do six hours of podcasts analyzing all the little areas that this is going to go down. I think that's the fascinating thing is like there are a lot of unforeseen consequences that not I don't I, consequences aren't isn't the right word, but unforeseen um, things that are going to happen um, from this, because that's what happens when when big regulation happens, is that a lot of innovation happens. I think that's the thing that's not being talked about enough, is that, like, really, this is how kind of the world works. You, you regulate something, and then people innovate off that. So we're going to see some new stuff from this. So check out the Friday newsletter. Uh, I've, I've diverted here, but it is a uh, it is a Nice morning read every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's free, and it'll keep you in tune with the game of golf and um, what's going on, the big topics. And again, we we put a lot of effort into that. Uh, it's basically like a, a, a big article three times a week from our staff. So thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. And uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Friday Podcast. Mm-hmm.